Amen. Sometimes growing in the Lord doesn't look so pretty, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes growing in the Lord looks like a couple steps backwards whenever he's just trying to grow our depth. Sometimes growing in the Lord doesn't look as beautiful as we intended it to. But nonetheless, it's growing. This church is in a season of growing. This, is in a, this church is in a season of growing in the revelation of what their inheritance looks like. But at the same time, my desire is that each one of you feel completely at rest in who God's called you to be. Amen. Listen, one thing that I hate the most is every time we come in this place, I see a bunch of people just wondering, just struggling with this one question. What is wrong with me? Why can't I get this right? Why can't I come here and just be who God's called me to be? Listen, God cares about each one of your hearts and understanding that he has called you son. He has called you righteous. And he says, you can do this. Amen. I say this to say today, we have a challenging message for you because God is a loving father and he's been challenging us. But what I want you all to know right now is that we believe that because you are sons and daughters of the living God, you can fulfill all of his missions and works that he has for us. Yeah, that's right. Hey, today, well... Not that he really actually messes up, but Holy Spirit done messed up and put the two of us up here with not enough notes, very unscripted, and uh, we're going to share with you guys a little bit from what uh, has been going on in us personally, and I think it's going to impact you too today. So I want to I give you some perspective. During prayer before service today, we... Together we're praying, and the Lord brought forth Esther chapter 7. We need you guys to be able to focus and to receive and listen to this message today, especially the men in the room, because uh, this applies to everyone. This is not a male-centric message today. But what the Holy Spirit reminded me of and all of us of this morning was is that during a Babylonian captivity, for Israel. Who is it anytime a nation is getting conquered by another nation? What do they do? They go after to kill the men and they will take away with them the women and children. Why? Because men, you almost have to kill them to shut them down if they're any genuine threat to you. What they do is they keep the men alive who have an effeminate nature, who aren't a threat to the enemy. They kill the men who are a threat to the enemy. So now you might understand why the enemy's going for your throat constantly. But then the enemy doesn't need to take out the women every time. Because if only he can remove the men, he will cause the women and children to serve his purposes rather than Yahweh's purposes. And it turns to chaos. The enemy will repurpose our wives and our children, men, if we are not leading and fighting the way that we're supposed to fight. Amen. So today with this, um, I'm going to warn you guys, this message has a little bit of sass in it for you. The Lord has been cutting our hearts lately, and we just wanted uh, you to, to hurt a little bit with us, and we'll all 
we'll all grow together. But we want you men, especially in the room today, to take this message, man, and, and run with it. Because we have to have not just a matching, but a superior aggression towards the enemy, like how the enemy has it to you. He is only trying to kill you. Dylan, he's only trying to kill you. Avery, he's only trying to kill you. You men are threats to the kingdom of darkness. He's only trying to kill you, John. And John. And John. Dylan and Dylan. All of you, multiples. He's only trying to kill you. I want you guys to catch this today before we go into any other revelation or point that we have for you. Because it's going to go pretty far in depth here in just a second. But we as men must have a superior authority and aggression and zeal to that of the enemy. Because he, there's only one choice for you. It's to kill you. Or if he's not trying to kill you, it's probably because you're not a threat to him at all. He will take your wives and your children and will purpose them for evil. But you, he wants you dead. So we want you to take this message today and become aggressive allow this conviction to hit you right in the heart and do not look at me like you are sad or pitiful i want you to decide today i'm going to do something about this i'm going to do something about this character in me because the entire world as what was said during prayer is waiting for the sons of god to be revealed not the women and children particularly of god to be revealed he's waiting for the sons of god and what we know about in the greek is that a child is different from a son even if it's a male child a son in the Greek is one who has matured and is partaking in his father's household and in his estate and what he does. And you men, just like us two, have to catch this today and go and do something about it. Can you agree with me on that before we get into the message? Yeah. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, as we begin today's message. While you are turning there, I will go ahead and reveal to you the title of today's message. Uh-oh. Today, the title of today's message is Trust Fun Babies. Somebody say Trust Fun Babies. First Corinthians 4, verse 1. Are you there? Yes. It says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secrets, secret things of God. Verse 2. Now it is required. Say required. required. Say it one more time. Required. That those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Oh. Well, we've been talking about inheritance the last few weeks. Who has inherited something from God? Yeah. Everyone's hand that has been raised. You are being called out now. It says you are required to uh, be faithful to the trust that you've been given. Church, this morning, we come to you with a burden from the Holy Spirit. As we have discovered our great inheritance, have been seated and settled in our wonderful sonship and have participated in the amazing, amazing family of God. It is he, Jesus Christ, who came as a testimony to all mankind that there was only one way to life as a life surrendered to the will of his father. Listen, verse 2 in 1 Corinthians reminds us of this same noble call that our Lord walked in while in human bodily form on this earth. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must 
Ruth faithful. Have you saints been entrusted? Yes. Yes. Have you received a wonderful inheritance in your rebirth in Yeshua? Yes. Then it's now time to be faithful to what has been entrusted to you. We within our walk at times make some of this to be negotiable. Can you agree with that? Yeah. As something that can be done tomorrow or even something that you can have no, possibly have no responsibility at all when it comes to that. But if you do not do it, who will? This is for the next generations. Listen, Acts 1 verse 1 is the first scripture of the book of Acts. And this is what it says. In my former book, Theophanes, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus was not only a phenomenal teacher, but was an exceptional leader because of what he did. Jesus, in his perfect leadership, lived a life worthy to be modeled. Something that was tangible, that could be seen throughout all of mankind. That those who were in front of Jesus, it was actually something that they could do. Something that could easily be seen from others to emulate while he walked on the earth. It wasn't ethereal. He didn't just speak parables. He did the will of God. Some of us, we have to be challenged in this place that though you know many scriptures, what matters most is fulfilling the word of God. We have to get to a point that we don't just believe, but we believe and do. We do not just preach and we don't say good things. We actually begin to do what we're being taught. If we don't do it, we'll never, uh, uh, we won't last to the next generation. You have been entrusted like Christ, through Christ. And is it because you're trustworthy? Think about that for a second. Is it because you're trustworthy that you've been entrusted? He has entrusted you because he loves you. And he knows, listen to this, he knows you can be like the son. Come on, if we wake up each day and understand that you just haven't been giving an, you haven't been giving a, a, a promise just to go and squander the promise. God put full trust in the son to carry out the promises of God. What if we believe that about ourselves? That he wouldn't give us anything that we couldn't handle. That he wouldn't give us anything that we can't handle or, or that we would fail under. He gives us everything that we need. And guess what? We just get to take step by step by step each day until we enter into the promise. Considering an actual trust, like a, a real trust, some, like a trust fund. In, a, in this modern age, we liken it to one who has entered into great wealth, not by the way of his hard work, but by the work of the fathers who sowed into the ground for their son's benefit. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is it good or bad for the recipient of the trust? Good. good. Church, it is the son's benefit that he would receive such a wonderful inheritance. But listen. Only if he intends to grow what has been given. Hence the derogatory trust fund babies. Have you ever heard that before? Do you kind of know what that is when we say that? It's somebody who receives all this money, who gets everything. And we were talking yesterday. You receive a piece of land 
And fathers before you worked generations to receive that land. Say it was 100 acres. And then that baby comes in and sells that land for 600 grand and buys himself a Ferrari the next weekend. <laughs> Trust fund baby. You get what you want when you want it, but you have no intention of ever investing yourself back in it. See, church, the reason many don't see inheritance as a good or godly thing is because of something very prevalent in this time and age. Listen to me. Throughout history and all throughout our word, we saw men entrusted with wealth, entrusted with influence, but were also responsible for a whole kingdom. They got wealth. They had influence, but it didn't come free. All of it was for what purpose? To rule and reign in a kingdom. See, we live in a day and age where there are those who want to live as kings, yet want no kingdom. Who covet royalty, but want no rulership. And who yearn for position, but want no ownership. We have kings, we have royalty, we have rulers, but accountable to no one. Have no concern about growing anybody. They just want to take, take, take for themselves to the day that they kill over from their own laziness. If we're being honest, we love, all of us, concepts, but we hate hard work. We love concepts of these things, but we hate the hard work that it takes to get to these things. Appreciate handouts and scorn responsibility. What does that make us? It makes us trust fund babies. Turn to Romans 8 and say trust fund babies when you get there. We're turning back to Romans 8 again because, well, we're still talking about inheritance. This is so much more, so much more than um, just going to church, man. Going to church and going to the next prayer meeting and doing the next fellowship meeting and everything else like that. It's so much more than that. We have an inheritance. We've been talking about that over and over again. So in, in reality, the last few weeks, we've been more so teaching on the value of inheritance. That was literally the title of the messages. We didn't know what else to name it. We're just learning how important it is. Today's message is really more some self-reflection that we want to share with y'all. So before I actually read Romans chapter 8 with you, I want you to uh, interact with me on a, mess on a, a couple of verses in Proverbs chapter 19. Just listen to me. You don't need to turn there. You're in Romans 8. Because we're going to immediately go into a much more victorious tone. <laughs> Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, A person's own folly is what ruins his way, but he rages in his heart against Adonai. You ever think about the way that you get mad at the Lord, but it's your own stupidity that gets you in that same spot over and over again? Lord, why won't you take this from me? Why won't you make it easy for me? Why won't you just flip the switch and make it all go away? Maybe it was your folly that took you to that place. But this is so much more than that. Listen to the rest. It says, wealth bring in, brings in many friends. We're talking about inheritance right? Maybe it's wealth that is actual finances or land or something like that, a business that you inherit from your parents or grandparents, and it comes to you, 
Or maybe it's right here in the kingdom of Christ Jesus himself, and he is asking you to partake in a very valuable inheritance, causing you to be wealthy. Maybe it's power, maybe it's influence, maybe it's authority in the Holy Spirit, signs, wonders, miracles, whatever it is. Wealth brings in many friends, but the poor man loses even the one friend that he has. A false witness will not go unpunished. Whoever breathes out lies will not escape. Many ask favors of a generous person, and to a giver of gifts, everyone is a friend. A poor man's relatives all hate him. I didn't write it. Even more, his friends stay away from him. He may pursue them with entreaties or requests, but they are not there to be found. Y'all, there is something we're really going to have to move forward in as a church, and that's why we're talking to you about inheritance. This is that most of the time when we are impoverished in some form or fashion, I'm not willing to say every time, but I am willing to say most of the time. It is because of your impoverished way of living. You are experiencing as type of poverty in your life and whatever category of life that it is because of your impoverished way of living. If you feel impoverished in the Holy Spirit, it might be because you have given away the wealth of the inheritance of his presence in your life. And because you shunned that, you are now found lacking. And you always need somebody else's relationship with Jesus to come save you because you don't have the relationship with him that they do. Poverty. Or maybe it is an actual stewarding of physical wealth. See, there's one thing, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between not having money and being impoverished. Because I know kingdom men who give away every stinking dollar that gets in their hands and they don't ever have anything. But they're not poor. They're not impoverished. And they don't go making requests to people because of their poor stewardship. They go and make requests of people because God's given them the authority to. And they know that if they get another dollar in their hands, it's going to get sown into the right places. See, here's a difference. We as men especially, but as men and women in God's kingdom, have to find out today how to properly steward his inheritance. Because what he has given us is so much more valuable than even a profitable business, more, pro more valuable than a large lot of land, and it's more valuable than a huge bank account or a trust fund that's been put away for you your whole life. It is so much more valuable. So if that's true with the things of this world, how much more so for the things of heaven will you need to steward his wealth and your inheritance well? Does that make sense to you? Do you see how poverty in any subject of your life might be because you did not handle the inheritance correctly? Are we in Romans 8? I want to give you some bookends to this. So um, I got spanked by Proverbs 19 this week, so I wanted you to as well. Hurt with me a little bit. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I Pastor Mike covered that super well last Sunday. Y'all just, I promise you don't get it yet. It's, it's awesome. Um, if uh, My East Texas accent comes out more when Kevin and Shelly are in the room. 
Holy smokes. I said, that's awesome. Sheesh. <laughs> like, oh, my Lord. Yeah, I know you did. That was the only word you understood, I said, since I started. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Remember the word sufferings there is not particularly a type of martyrdom where someone is jihadi style cutting off your head for the gospel. It just means your hard work. It means pain in your flesh. You are sowing something in rather than just reaping all the benefits of it. So we're coming... From a, this message is mostly coming today to you from self-reflection and from a conversation Pastor Devin and I were having with Morgan and Avery late on Tuesday evening. What we were discussing is that we are, at, we are the generation here in this room, and it was the four of us who were speaking the other night, who are here to make the culture. We are here to make the culture. Some of the great works of Mike and Jen have been done in and f- that have been done in and for Jesus were before any of us knew them. I get to hear testimony from their closest friends, pastors, and disciples from other places. But these are private conversations of those who have loved them well for years, testifying to me of Mike, Pastor Mike and Jen's faithfulness and boldness and zeal over years and even a decade. The reality we came to, though, is that this man's works, and along with, he, with his wife, are an inspiration to us leaders in the congregation. But it is our job in this generation to show a way of life and to create a culture that is pervasive in our community, families, and generations to come. Concerning Romans 8, consider the way that zealous, genuine sons impact the earth when they step up and create culture the way that they should. To do anything other than fully take hold of what you have received by way of inheritance and run with it, is to be a trust fund baby. You know what we're talking about. You know what we mean when we say trust fund baby. The kind of heirs that have the way paved for them. But it's not just that. Because in reality, we have, though we all did receive an empty way of life from some family, right? There's always been a man or woman of God who has gone and paved a way for us. But we know it's not just about having a way paved for you that makes you a trust fund baby. What comes after that is they walk when they should run. They sit when they should walk. They have what we like to call first world excuses for why they can't walk in the same devotion as their fathers. Not shiny enough tools. Not enough experience. You didn't, you didn't, did you come into this thing with all the answers to the test? And yeah, that's what I thought. Not enough money. Not enough energy. Too many healthy children. Pastor, I can't be as devoted as the men who came before me because darn it, these children are a hindrance to my life and my ministry. Do you know how exhausting they are? They sit on the floor and they play with each other. 
Can't you understand why I can't focus the way you can focus? Give me a break. <laughs> Too restricting of an eight to five office job. Oh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know there were some men who trudged through the mud in Vietnam, right? I know there were some men who trudged through the mud in Vietnam, but I, I can't be devoted to Jesus with my eight to five office job. I just can't do it. It's too consuming. My boss is mean to me sometimes, and I'm tired. And then I have kids when I get home. Gosh. Oh, or what about this? Not enough difficulties to make them have to get up and try. Ooh, that's some second generation issues, huh? I was just praying with Mr. Kevin and Shelley earlier. Some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. I already told that to them, to their face. There is something about being the first one to step up and nobody's giving anything to you <laughs> and if you don't get up and go do it it's not going to happen it's not there it doesn't exist yet what about too many strong leaders ahead of them to feel confident enough to try that one might be more relevant in the room trust fund baby you have received, I have received, I'm about to start, trust me, this is not just about you today. I'm about to share with you all of my trust fund baby characteristics in just a moment. So don't feel like I'm condemning you today. We're just going to level with each other and agree that we got some stuff we need to work on. You know what we mean. None of these feel comfortable hearing, but we want to be honest with you. I have behaved like a trust fund baby. I have waited for fathers to continue doing their hard work intimidated to jump in out of an intimidation by their abilities and my lack you ever feel that way not just your not just Yahweh your father in heaven I'm talking about the men who just simply went before you and you hesitate and you hesitate and you hesitate to jump in because you feel like they have a greater ability than you do of course they have a greater ability than you do they've been doing it longer than you They've been faithful longer than you. Of course they have a greater ability than you. But what never works among sons is sitting there watching dads do the hard work sit while sitting on their hands saying, I just don't want to get in the way. Fathers don't appreciate you sitting there on your hands watching them work. <laughs> they would rather you get in the way and then they can put you in the right spot. Amen. <laughs> I have had that happen many times to me. I have been put in my right place. I have also acted like a trust fund baby in that I have waited for my brother I, I have waited for my brothers and blamed my lack of effort on theirs. You know it's worse than a trust fund baby. Trust fund babies. <laughs> That's whenever you start to together, we're like, you know what? We don't even need to go do the thing that those men did. We're just, we're just going to have our own thing right here. We're going to do it our way, and it's going to be more fun, less work, quicker returns, and less cost. That's how we're going to do it. Trust fun, baby. I have adhered to the greater culture of my generation that has no idea how to keep alive the good things that were birthed in the generation before us. 
Most of the time, y'all, like, listen, everybody who, like, if you know, we, you and I are in the same generation in this room. Listen to me. We don't even have to birth all that much. Sometimes God wants us to birth something entirely new because something was perverted from the generation before. But a lot of the times, the work that we are doing in our generation is, was started by someone who went before us and they're handing it to us. It's your job to keep it alive and to grow it. You know how much, it work, how much work it took with no experience, no resources, no time, no energy, no sleep, no capacity to still then birth the thing that you're taking part in? Remnant Church, some of our businesses in the room. I have looked upon the hard work, church. I have looked upon the hard work. The studies, the sermons, and the notes. Products of thousands, I mean thousands of hours of work, prayer, and study of the men who went before me and simply said, I don't know about all that, I disagree. Trust fund, baby. I have inherited something so valuable in my life, so valuable that it's, it's unimaginable how I got my hands on what I've gotten my hands on in my life without having bled for it. And then something happens in you that you don't know how to value it appropriately. That's why we were teaching you on the value of inheritance these past weeks. Second Timothy chapter 2 Verse 1 says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us, Paul wrote, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. And then he says to Timothy, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Yeah. We're about to look into our first and most practical example in Matthew chapter 25, but we want you to do what Paul wrote to Timothy. We want you to reflect on this today. Reflect on what is being said, because we know the Lord will give you insight on what to do. Here's the thing. You just don't have a choice to walk out of this room and not do anything. If, if I'm a friend, a brother, or a pastor, or anything to you in this room, just consider how much I love you and just understand you don't have a choice to walk out of this room and not do anything. We have to overcome a misuse and a mishandling of the inheritance because we have already received everything that we need. And the world, according to Romans 8, is waiting for you to show up and be who you're supposed to be. Because whenever you speak something, it changes in the earth. Whenever you go and you embark on a journey for Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit, you change the earth. Consider that maybe your lack of fruit in your life and what you think you're doing for Jesus is actually somewhere in there a mishandling of his inheritance. Maybe you are not doing all the things that you thought you were doing in Jesus the way that you 
Maybe you're not doing it the way that you thought you were. But we're going to look at that today. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Y'all turn there. It is one of the finest and simplest examples for you. Yeah, say trust fund baby when you get there. Y'all there? Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the first five talents Talents went out and at once put his money to work and gain, gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I was, would harvest where I have not sown and gather. If you knew I had the harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We, church, are those who have been given a talent in this room. Those within the kingdom that gives all men equal opportunity and responsibility. And as I've grown in the kingdom, I've started to realize that worldly privileges may even work against true wealth that comes from the truth that you've been given from the Father. What I'm trying to make clear to everyone this morning as we move forward is that we are men without excuse. Men who have received enough 
and must not spend another second hiding his investment in the ground. As we look at Matthew 25, I want to point out a few key points here. Point one, the five talents received from the master was enough to double the investment. Two talents were enough to double the investment. And the church, the one talent was absolutely enough to double the investment. But what happened to the man who was given the one? Number two, I want to paint a clear picture for you. One talent was equivalent to a little over a year's wage. So we're not talking about a dude that comes and gives you $1 bill, here's $2 bills, here's $5 bills. No, literally it, it could translate to a thousand coins, gold coins. Could you imagine if somebody gave you 1,000 gold coins? You wouldn't just be handling that like it were just a quarter in your pocket. It's significant. The tr uh, what I'm pointing out here today is that each one of them received in a significant investment from their master. But some choose, chose not to invest it the way they were intended to. Number three, the only thing that the master desired was increase. You have five, you have two, you have one. And five and two, they go and multiply their money and the master was happy with that. The text doesn't say, but I imagine if the guy who received five and he came back with six, he would still be happy with it. What I'm trying to say in this room this morning is that we are so, so, so obsessed about the number. But whenever God's just looking for the moving forward. We're going to rid some of that anxiety in this place this morning. Listen, I'm going to read Matthew 25 again in the Passion's Translation in verse 24 because it kind of paints the picture of what we were just talking about. It says, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talents in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This is the passion. It goes on to say, The one who had been entrusted with 1,000 coins came to his master and said, Look, sir, I know that you are a hard man to please. And your shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the back of others. I was afraid of you. So I went and hid your money and buried it in the ground. But here it is. Take it. It's yours. But his master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. If you knew I was shrewd and a ruthless businessman who always makes a profit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Then I would have received it all back with interest when I returned. But because you were unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins and give them to the one who has 10,000. For the one who has will be given more until his overflows with abundance. And the one with hardly anything, even what he has will be taken from him. Listen, we just read many verses, but there are one specific point that I want to point out to you this morning. Church, have you ever considered that your view of the Father could absolutely affect your actions and what you do with his investment that he gives to you? It says in the text here, 
I know that you are a hard man to please and you're shrewd and you're ruthless. If our view is that our master is a hard man, shrewd, ruthless, and only is in it to get rich off of you, then you'll probably go bury your treasure. You'll probably go and sit on the inheritance because you'll just be so focused on getting it wrong all the time. The difference between those who were fruitful and the ones who were not fruitful was absolutely their, their view on who the master was. They were all entrusted. They were all given an abundance, but with their abundance, they grew, grew it according to what they believed and understood about the investor. Every single one of us has been giving an investment, but if you see your pastors, your father in heaven, as one who just wants to get rich off of you, you'll probably just sit on your butt your entire life. Listen, God doesn't need anything from you. He wants everything for you because he wants what's best for you. If we spend the rest of our days acting like trust fund babies, receiving all the blessing but never investing it back, it will grow rotten on you and you will become rotten yourself. But where does that rot come from? It comes from an identity that says, listen, I just think this whole kingdom thing is just to go and grow other men's kingdoms or just to grow this father's kingdom that I have no um, true love for because you live in fear the rest of your life because you're always afraid that you're going to lose out the investment. Yes, God expects a return. I'll make that clear. He expects a return, but we obsess over the numbers rather than the opportunity. He was pleased with those who brought a return and displeased with the one who sat on his investment because the one who sat on the investment spent his entire life frozen in fear rather than moved by love. What if it's not about the ROI, but rather about the L-O-V-E that drives you each day? Remember, your DNA breathed into you by God to bear his image requires and also uh, gives you everything that you need to succeed with the investment that you received. No longer are you trust fund babies, but you are God's co-heir in the promise, and he did not make you to fail. Amen. So rather than living in fear each day regarding what that RI is going to look like in the end, how about we just get more obsessed about the loving father who gave us the opportunity in the first place? Because love produces action and fear produces paralysis. I don't want to spend another second frozen over the fear of even beginning. I want to be burning on fire for our Lord and so that the only thing our focus is is just being fruitful with what he's given us today. We all have been given this investment. Everybody has been given a talent. Some have been given five talents. But what is he looking for? Multiplication. And it won't happen till the day that we lose heart or lose fear that we're going to fail. He says you will succeed. In this story, it's, I mean, it's really only the, like the beginning, right? I mean... It starts with, I mean, it ends with, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who, will, um, who has will be given more. 
So there is more to happen after this story. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, whoever is like, I just don't have enough, insatiable, unsatisfied, I just don't have enough. That's like saying I don't have anything at all. Even what he does have will be taken away. And it says to throw that worthless servant outside. Guys, this story right here that Pastor Devin takes, uh, took you through is an example to you of what you can do right now today. We don't know anything about the past of these servants, and we don't know anything that happens after this story with these servants. All we know is this one moment. So I want you guys in the room today, because listen, you can only really declare someone a trust fund, baby, after you've seen some time of how they handle inheritance. Amen. Okay? Y'all listening? There are some of you in this room who have been here for years. For years. And we're not only talking about an inheritance that came by, you know, in your salvation and you know, your infilling of the Holy Spirit that may or may not have happened before God started doing this work called Remnant Church that you're a part of. But some of you have been here for years. And some of you show trust fund baby characteristics. And some of you just flat out act almost every day like a trust fund baby. So I want you to listen to me today because we're going to start turning this thing here soon. But the prophet Haggai had one really good correction to make sure that these things were not going to happen in the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the return from Babylon. I want you guys to turn to Haggai chapter 1 with me. We have received something great. We've received salvation in Yeshua. We've received the righteousness of Christ. It says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's incredible already. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. You can now speak in a language that nobody else in this world understands unless they are also filled with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool, right? You can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. You can pray for someone called intercession right here in this room. And on the other side of the planet, something happened and change. That's quite an inheritance that you've already received. If you actually think about it and you are just storing that stuff away because you're afraid that somebody's going to get upset with you along the way. This is what we're talking about. You know, the main reason why we don't actually go and put into action the way of life that we have inherited not only from God but by the men of God who came before us and showed us a way of life the reason we don't do it that one of the main reasons we don't do it is is that we are busy doing something for ourselves on the side we only want to sow in a small portion whatever feels comfortable in the moment because as much as we might admire the fruit and the works and the outcomes in their life, we don't actually believe the same thing can happen for us. So we preserve ourselves in a way so that we can protect our own interests, hedge our own bets while putting in micro investments and saying, yeah, I live for the kingdom. Maybe you don't live for the kingdom as much as you say you do. Think about it today.
Haggai chapter 1 verse 5 says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Amen. Wow, where do you think Paul got that from for Timothy? You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That's that thrift store purse. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Twice he says it. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house. So that I, the Lord, may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Wow. Planted much, but harvested little. Eat, but never enough. You drink, but you never are filled. You're clothed, but it's just never warm enough. You earn wages, but you can never seem to hold on to them. Whenever you've been given an inheritance... Even in this case, for the people of Israel, they're coming back into Jerusalem after having been in captivity. They are rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. They're rebuilding its walls. They're rebuilding the temple itself. They're building their whole community back. Think about, even for us, this family of people in this room right now. In so many ways, the genuine church, the genuine ecclesia of Christ has been destroyed in the last couple of generations. They made a trick and pony show out of it. It got carried into Babylon for days. And you're rebuilding something genuine. And even though you have the zeal to step out of the world, you're stepping back into Jerusalem. Yeah, like I'm here to do the hard work of the kingdom. And you're like, let me take care of myself first real quick. I can tell you guys, you can be here at Remnant Church and you can think you're better than every other Christian down the road, but I'm going to tell you that you're not. I, I do not care if you carry the one association badge on your laptop or on your back window of your car. I don't care if you come to Remnant Church or not. I do not think of you more highly than how God thinks of you. And you should not think of yourself more highly than how God thinks of you. That's trust fun baby behavior. And what happens whenever you think that way, you think you have the right to behave and to live some way outside of the way of life that God himself has presented and that men who went before us have presented and you don't have that right and then feel like you have the ability to continue being a part of the work that God's doing here. Y'all, we ain't trying to grow a mega church so that everybody can come and put their tithes and offerings in the bucket. This is a move, a work of God. And these are soldiers and farmers and workmen and builders. Mighty men and mighty women and mighty children of God are meant for this place. 
Sons who live like trust fund babies are often consumed with building their own homes before building something for someone else. They oftentimes are okay with watching their fathers fight to get by in a selfless work while deciding which trim piece to put on their own house. Or worse, decorating their lives in whatever they can afford to get from the thrift store before building up the community of God's people. Hmm, reality check, church. You don't have to have a lot of money to be a trust fund baby. You can be one just as much with your discount shelf halfway out of style life. I told you, there's all sorts of sass in this thing today. I, we've been cut to the heart, and we ain't trying to hold back from you guys. We will see everything that God wants to happen in this, in this movement happen. And I have been laying in bed every night considering my own ways that I have abused and mishandled the inheritance of God straight from him and through men in my life like Pastor Mike. And how I have even caused my brothers around me to give half-hearted efforts and plenty of excuses for why we are not doing at least the same as what our fathers before have done. And when really we should be aiming for much, much more. Can you tell that this is so much more of a heart and mentality issue than a materialism issue? It's not about money. You can have lots of money. You can have a little bit of money. And you can be just as entitled as anybody else in the world. It's not about materialism. More than likely, within God's kingdom, if you are living a life devoted to him, he is likely giving you wealth and authority or influence or money or land or whatever because he wants you to have it, because he wants you to use it for one of his purposes. You just need to find out what he wants from you. You need to ask him why he is sowing into your life the way that he's sowing into your life before you become a trust fund baby. Don't start comparing yourself today, either church, to your lost family members, coworkers, or friends. Uh, I'm not interested in hearing how, well, at least I don't do that. I'm not talking to them. I'm, we're talking to you today. The Lord spoke to us this week. He is and we are together speaking to you today. I'm not interested in how you've gotten one step better than the relatives you came from or the last church that you went to or anything like that. I'm not interested Neither is the Lord. We are his sons and daughters, and he has given us such a great inheritance. We get to. It is our joy to participate in the glory of what God is doing. And it's so much fun, y'all. It's so much fun. It's so spirit-filled. You're empowered to literally do supernatural things. This is not a miserable life at all. If you have a miserable life in Jesus, you probably aren't living in Jesus. Because even the men who have gone through miserable things in the scriptures in Jesus seem to always have authority over the misery of the circumstances. I mean, I feel like a pretty miserable life inside of circumstances is being thrown into a furnace. And the things that bound those men's hands is what was burned off. And Jesus was standing in there with them, like fist bumping them. Like, dude, it's like 4,000 degrees in here. (laughs) Like, Like those guys that just walked you up died. Yeah, I don't know about you, church, but I'm tired of it. I'm done with second-guessing my sacrifices. 
I'm done with leveling my convicted conscience when I lay in bed at night, trying to, compl- trying to explain why I've treated myself to the fruit of my father's hard work while watching him continue to labor for my good. We are looking for a generation of us who will stand, work for the good of all of God's people, sacrifice for someone else's betterment, people who are willing to put all their eggs in that one basket called Christ and his kingdom. And not regret for a day if they don't feel like they're getting paid, like what they're getting paid back is fair enough. Are you putting all your eggs in the Christ and his kingdom basket? What partial measure are you living in today? We're not saying this because we hate you. No. We're saying this because we love you. Amen. And you know what the most miserable thing is for men? We've been talking about this a ton. The most miserable thing for men is laying down at the end of the day as a man of God, feeling like at least a little bit of a piece of trash because you know for a fact you did not do what you were supposed to do that day. You know that you made excuses for that day. You know that you mishandled something that day. That is the most degrading thing for men of God. Yeah. Is just to have to wrestle with your own conscience. Because either you have to confess your sin and change your life. Or you have to sit there and lie to yourself and lie to your wife day after day after day after day. Until your conscience is so seared that you feel perfectly comfortable being living a loser lifestyle that you are. Jesus doesn't raise up losers. Jesus doesn't raise up guys who don't bear fruit. He doesn't raise up men who don't bring a return. Why do you think that that servant that brought back no return was the one who was thrown out? It wasn't that he tried and failed. It was that he failed to try. He didn't even try. He made excuses every day. And he was gone, Devin pointed out to me yesterday, for a long time. How long have you been sitting on your conscience knowing the things that you should be doing or that you should have done a long time ago and still haven't done? It's funny how it actually gets easier the longer that he's gone, the longer that you don't have to answer for your lack of return. That's why as brothers, we got to keep testing each other. Was it truly the trying and failing that casted him out? No, it was, in fact, the failing to try. Yeah. Could you imagine if the story was like, hey, I was given one talent, now I have half a talent. He might have been still pleased with that. Right. We need to understand today that God's just not going to cast you out because you fail all the time. He actually is going to love you more when you fail all the time. Yeah. What gets you cast out over the whole span of your life is realizing that you have operated and lived in fear and all you did was sit and think about it for your entire life. We are not preaching uh, a message of condemnation today. We're preaching a message to wake you up. Yeah. Haggai finishes this passage with the word from the Lord saying that all of the selfish work of your hands will be divinely restricted. Because he loves us more than that. Because the multiplication of his estate that he wants cannot be done by men who are still trying to decide whether or not they should live for themselves. You wonder why you don't feel like you have direction for your family, men? It's probably because you've mishandled the things that have already been given to you. 
if you don't feel like you know where you're going next, if you don't feel like the, you know the work that your family ought to be doing, you should consider in the kingdom, within the things that God has given you to do, maybe what has been mishandled so far. I want to share with you guys, for, for me and Kendall, I actually have sat down and done that, and I've considered what is holding back the fruit in my life because I want to bring my father a good return. Really, my heart's desire, I hope, that I've, I hope that I've proven faithful with what God's entrusted to me so far. I want my family, my friends, and everyone to have everything that they need and want even on this earth within God's desires. But somewhere along the way, I get frustrated because things aren't bearing fruit the way that I feel like they're supposed to. And I went and I talked, I've talked to people about circumstances. I've blame shifted. I've said it was other, somebody else's fault. I've done this and that and this and that, everything. But look right back to the way of life that I inherited and said, I'm going to start with that, see where that takes me, and then if there's anything else after that, then I'll continue there. We have to consider why maybe things aren't working out the way that we feel like they're supposed to. Because, because the multiplication of God's estate that he wants cannot be done by men deciding whether or not they're living for themselves. He needs sons who think, feel, and behave like true sons. They do work that can be blessed by God. And it's not always in quantity. It's not always in money. It's not always in the number of people in the room. It's just the impact on the land that he's given you. You will see that impact. You will see it first in the privacy of your home. We were just talking about this. What you do in private, God will allow you to do in public. If you were praying at home, if you were laying hands on your wife, less time complaining about her and more time praying over her. If you were spending more time sowing into your children, if you were spending more time and energy and effort and resources building the work that God's given you to do instead of your own little selfish private thing, then he will give you influence and authority and everything you need in the public according to his will because that's the character that he wants to see multiplied on the earth. The issue is there is a lot of money and there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of talented speakers and there's a lot of all that good shiny stuff but very few men who actually think, feel, and behave like true sons of God. Therefore, we don't see generational impact. It always ends after one, maybe two generations. One generation getting something means that a man ran after God. Two generations means that that first man taught his son how to also run after God. But you can have two but not three generations. That's, that's what you call a trust fund baby, right? Where did it end at? It ended between the second and the third generation because he might have received it, but he didn't steward and multiply it. In fact, he devoured it. So then the third generation doesn't come. In your Bibles, there are very few times that three generations get lined up in anything. We're going to show you an example here later of when it does. 
But the point is, is that you cannot sit in this room another day. Listen to me. You cannot sit in this room another day watching the men who went before you and just sit there and say, well, I'll let them run ahead and do the work because I don't feel like I'm adequate. I don't feel like I'm strong or smart enough. I don't feel like they didn't either. They, the, those kind of men never felt like they had what they needed. But they got up and they did it anyways, and they asked the Lord for help every step of the way. Pastor Devin, take it before I keep going. <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 13 says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and heaven derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, uh, the height and the length and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Listen, real fathers don't need you to feel sorry for them. Real fathers, after having labored for you, drop before the Lord and intercede for you to receive everything they labor for. Think about how exciting it was for Paul, though he, he labors and sacrifices greatly to know his sons and daughters in Christ are not only pitying him, but they will not despise his hardships. They won't look for an easy way out of it because Paul, this father, has prayed that they would be filled by the same God to a greater degree after laboring for them the way that he has. Sons and daughters, the best place to start is not despise the difficulties of Christ, of our fathers. Just admire their champion-like nature in Jesus. Inherit all they have for you and be strengthened to continue in this great inheritance. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, Devin was pointing it out to me just uh, yesterday. He was like, why is it that some part of us today feels like if you're having to work hard at all, then you must be behind the times because the modern way to do things is to not have to put in any effort, right? The modern way to do things is to find the way to do the least effort possible and then get the same return as everybody else. There's something to be said for efficiency every now and then, church. We're not saying that you just must always do it the the worst and most miserable way possible. But we're saying your hard work and your character, your discipline and your Christ-like nature as a son must always be there in everything that you're doing. We can admire the men of faith who went before us, the ones who we have right in the room with us and the ones that we read about in our scriptures. But... At the end of the day, what both of those parties have in common is, is that they had people standing in a room or sitting in a room just like us today. And that room existed because they dared to do something even though they felt like they weren't capable of doing it. 
Consider how you're sitting in this room today. What if they would have given up when it started hurting? I know of a couple marriages that would have never happened in the room and never will happen. What if the one family that hurt their feelings was enough to give up and walk away? What if they said, you know what? I will never add up to the men who went before me, so I'll never even dare to try. The men in our scriptures, and at least one man in this room today, dared to do something that they felt inadequate for. But they loved the Lord their God so much that for the sake of you being in this room today or the men that we read of in our scriptures, like even like in a Cornelius' house situation, there are people standing in a room receiving the Holy Spirit, empowerment, teaching, edification, encouragement, and family like they've never had before because somebody just said, man, these guys who went before me are great, but I want to do what they've done. I want to do the work that they've done. And I'm not just going to sit here in this room another week and just go to church again so that I can get another good word and go home and not teach my family about it. (laughs) Psalm chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. Oh, this one is so painful sometimes. Psalm chapter 16, 5 through 11 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will, pro- I will play- praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Stewarding inheritance properly starts with loving the one that gave it to you. Loving the inheritance is part of loving the one who gave it to you. Imagine if I, who have inherited this movement in the Holy Spirit called Remnant Church, hated the land and the people in it. That's some Jonah stuff. I just, I'm as good as dead, Lord. Give me a tree to sit under so I can sit here and pout the rest of the days of my life that life didn't turn out the way that I thought it was. I'm going to turn out. Imagine if I hated the land and the work and the movement and the responsibilities that come with it that came from the inheritance that's been given to me. Because we already understand from, last, from the last two weeks, right? It is the wrong understanding of inheritance to think that dad must be dead in order for you to have inheritance. That is an American selfish way of living. Dad does not have to be dead for inheritance to be received. It is selfish for dads and that they're not willing to share anything until they die and it's selfish for sons because they don't think it's theirs unless it's exclusively theirs and dad has to be dead for me to feel a sense of ownership of it the kingdom has a way better concept of inheritance right (laughs) 
I must love not only what my Father in heaven has loved, but also what he has displayed in this man in my life over here. Only I must not love it and forget Yahweh, nor the men that he put in my life. Because then I would treasure only what God has given me instead of he who has given it to me. This always leads to ruin and despising inheritance. Once the land grows ugly or the people come and go, I will then despise my inheritance. It was a really pretty field when I got it. It was fruitful. Now it has thorns and thistles because I was not working in it properly. Therefore, I now hate my inheritance because it's a burden to me instead of a pleasure to me. Well, that was on me. My father gave it to me with crops in the ground. Field tilled, rocks removed. How on earth did the rocks get back in and the weeds come back and the thorns cut my legs every time I walked through it? Because I did not keep alive what was birthed in the last generation. That's why. You want to know why you're struggling right now? Why you're hurting? is because you aren't even following the simple way of life that was already given to you from the men who came and started this work in the first place. I did not only inherit a land church nor a people in a move of God. I inherited a way of life. This is what the real, like the most valuable inheritance is at the end of the day. The most valuable of inheritance is the way of life. Mr. Kevin here can build up the finest home building business in all of East Texas, build the most beautiful homes, and Ms. Shelley can help him in every way to administratively make it come to pass. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if there's not someone standing there to do it the same way that he's been doing it, and maybe even go further with it, then it's not the same thing. You, you don't just, people don't just step into that stuff. I have, and thank the Lord, I had a dad in the faith standing there with me saying, I'm going to stand here with you while I'm doing it. We're going to do this thing together. And it's okay if you mess up because I'm going to put it back together and we'll keep going together. That's what dads do, right? Right, Chuck? We only have a few more passages for you. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, says the Lord. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Amen. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree come on Longview. and instead of briars the myrtle will grow this will be for the lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed now think about matthew 25 do not consider whether or not god wants a return in your life you hear me? It's not a negotiation whether or not he wants a return in your life. 
Clearly, according to the story, he wants a return on your life. If you take his good seed, are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and do the works of his son, Yeshua, then you will bear great fruit. Amen. If you take the seed of the gospel, the power of the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and the way of life that Christ himself did, do you not think that you will have thousands of people coming into the kingdom as well in your life? Maybe if you're not getting the same return on your life, that's a you issue and not a him issue. Especially not a circumstantial issue. This is what the redemption of the creation looks like. The very fruits of sonship the world has been waiting so long for. Do you understand, church? This is your time to not belittle the inheritance that you've been given. You are Yahweh's chosen people to redeem a land and the people within it. Say, I am not a trust fund baby. Come on, say it one more time louder. I am not a trust fund baby. I am not a trust fund baby. Come on. Go ahead and stand with us this morning. Revelation 2, verse 8, says something special. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. We came to remind you this morning that you are rich. Do not sit on the wealth. But go and continue to invest in all that God has given you. John 4 verse 35 says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I'll tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Amen. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest, a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. There's plenty, for, uh, there's plenty of investment from the Father and there's plenty of things to do uh, according to the investments that we receive from the Father. It's time to get to work. I don't want to be a trust fund baby. Yeah. Numbers chapter 25 verse 10 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give my covenant of peace and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. This is one of the only times in your entire Bible when three generations line up and are who God has made them to be. One of the only times. Aaron did all that he could just about with what he knew being the very first high priest that ever was with the Lord in the wilderness too. His son, Eleazar, also walked with the Lord. And then Phineas comes and redeems a rebellious people 
whenever he is acting as high priest. He redeems a rebellious people who were in some of the most disgusting fornication and adultery and everything else that was going on at that time. I tell you guys, you guys were made for this. You were made for this. You were either a second, third, or fourth generation son or daughter in the faith if you were standing in this house and a part of this movement. We are already breaking the rules of church society that says you should have been offended and left the church a long time ago. You should have given up on the Lord a long time ago. You should have committed adultery and just ditched on your family and and left a long time ago. We're already breaking all the rules with you just standing in here. Why do you think you can't get very many people to stay in the room? Everybody comes one time, then they find out that they're going to have to do something with their lives and hard to get them to stick around. Y'all were made for this. We love you, and we don't want you to be discouraged not one ounce from anything that we shared with you today. You are the Eleazars and the Phinehases and the descendants that come after that. Because God saw three generations in the book of Numbers through the line of Aaron as the priest leading in the temple, that, when he saw the third generation be even greater than the fathers that came before him, that's when he said, I will make a perpetual priesthood now. After three generations, he said, I found out that not only a dad, but a son can also continue this way of life and teach it to the next generation. We're locked in. Amen? Amen. Y'all lift your hands and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you today. That we have received such a great inheritance that, that we're actually having to talk today about how to handle it rightly. Lord, we are not rolling around in the dust trying to figure out the fundamental things of your kingdom and how to have a family here and how to just get things started. Lord, we, are, we actually have a great foundation that has been laid for us. And you, Christ Jesus, and Lord Jesus, and the men that you have sent here to start the work, Lord. God, we say that we love you and the way that we're going to love you greater every day, the way that we're going to love you greater every week and every month and every year and every decade, Lord, is is that we are going to live the way of life that we have inherited from the men and the women who came before us. And we're going to execute it well. And we're going to take it further than even how they gave up for Jesus. You even told your disciples that they would do greater works than you. So, Jesus, we believe that. We say that we actually believe that here in the room today. We really believe that we will do the same and greater works than those who came before us, Lord, because we will not sit on this great and glorious inheritance that you have given us, God. Lord, we love you, and we want to honor you all the days of our life by living out our life the way that you have intended us to, God. We ask that you be glorified in every change that we make in our family's culture today. We ask that you lead the husbands today, Lord, and the dads, and making fundamental changes in what life looks like in their home, God. Lord, that all of us would not be living for some investment or some inheritance here on this earth that has nothing to do with your kingdom. But God, we would be willing to drop our nets We would be willing to run. We would be willing to sell all and give all away, just like what you spoke to one of the seven churches in Laodicea, God. You said to sell all that you have, for you think you're rich, but you're not rich at all. 
God, we trade our wealth that we've, of what we feel like we have in our lives right now for yours. And we say we want a full buy-in in your kingdom, God. Yes. We love you, and we want to be found standing with you all the days of our life, God. We bless you, Jesus, as your saints here in this room, and we bless our friends today in your name. Amen. Remember, we do have, oh, oh, that's me, sorry. oh, we're both on it. Remember, we do have fellowship at 7 p.m. tonight. Are you guys sticking around for that? We'll get you next time.